There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper, and welcome to another show on the Voice America Network, uh, the Business Elevation Show, and uh, really delighted to be with you uh, again. I've just um, been pointed out to me that we're only a couple of months away now from seven years on the networks and almost 300 shows, so uh, unique ones. Um, so great to be back with you again. Um, uh, just um, People have, have asked me, so why don't you mention what you do? And I don't do that often enough, really, in terms of our business, but we, we help pe- um, leaders to um, elevate the performance of their people and their teams and build greater levels of engagement through workshops and programs and that sort of thing. And, and so the topics often that we talk about on the show are ones that I'm also very interested in, and they help my clients and, and connections to also – uh, develop and grow and, and many of those listen to these shows too and we use them as, as sort of content for workshops and programs. Um, I'm delighted today we're going to be talking to a guy called a guy called um, Rory Devine and before I introduce you to Rory and we talk about growth hacking I want to uh, just say a thank you to last week's guest to Ben Ravel. Uh, ben um, set up he's a, a serial entrepreneur he's on about his third or fourth business now and he's only 29 so we had a conversation about young entrepreneurship and also about some of the lessons and learnings of his latest business which is called Wine Buyers and has just uh, realized uh, a million pounds of uh, extra funding through crowdfunding. Uh, so I had a great chat with, with Ben last week and it leads on nicely to talking about, about growth and uh, talk about growth hacking which uh, I'm really intrigued to explore. Um, we've got Rory Devine, he's an expert on growth hacking and growing your business in a fragmented market and he's uh, set up a really great business that's growing at a, a massive pace uh, at the moment called um, uh, interim.team. Um, and of course growth is absolutely key to any successful business but how do you really do that in um, today what can be very, very fragmented markets. Now, Robbie Devine is uh, the CEO, he's the founder of Interim.team, and he's the only person to have featured on the cover of CIO Magazine twice. He's been awarded IT Leader of the Year by Computing Magazine, and he's featured in the book, How to Build a Billion Dollar App. And uh, you know, he says that um, the change that he brought about when coming in as an interim was just truly amazing. And, and uh, therefore, we're going, we'll talk a little bit about his, uh, his interim uh, business and, uh, and how he's managed to develop and, and grow that while we talk about growth ha- hacking. He, he desc- he's been recently described as one of the best business technologists in the UK. And I should thank uh, our mutual friend of the show, Hedwig Wilson, for interview- introducing Rory and telling me what an amazing and fascinating individual he is. Um, he says he has a, very much a hands-on approach. Um, and, uh, and he thinks, you know, from that, that's really derived some of his accomplishments um, for really improving business results. So let's have a chat with Rory. Let's talk about uh, growth hacking. But before we do that, let's just find out about um, you know, some, of the, uh, some of the things about Rory that um, make us realize that actually he's human. He's not just this genius who appears on, on the top of these magazines and gets these amazing awards. So, Rory, a big welcome. Hi, Chris. Thank you for that very 
Very complimentary introduction. Uh, you're very welcome. Well, pleasure to have you on the show, and and I'm generally really excited to talk about you because uh, you're a very, a very interesting man. But let's have a a chat uh, first about your childhood, and 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 I'm interested. I'm always interested in people with where you know where these things start. Um, so one of the things I learned about you is that uh, you came second in a beautiful baby competition. Um, <laughs> But so let's start from uh, from your sort of young tender ages in your baby competitions, but um, through to um, you just mentioned that you left home at sixteen, which sounds quite young to me. Yes, that's right. I mean, I guess I I started uh, with failure, coming second in a beautiful baby competition, and I've been trying to <laughs> trying to come number one ever since. So I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess it was um, quite young to leave home. Looking back, but I left. I left home with a friend that I'd grown up to school with. Still really good friends with now, and we just felt, you know, I don't know we just got to, thought it'd be quite an adventure to go off to London. So um, that's exactly what we did at that relatively young age. Well, did you did you um, did you go to study to work to live on the streets? I mean, what did you <laughs> what did you go to do? Well, we were never actually homeless, so I can't I can't claim it's a real uh, rags to riches stories. Um, but we we did just various we did various um, jobs, you know, everything from washing washing up in restaurants to working on building sites, you know, the usual kind of stuff. And then eventually got fed up with that and went back to um, Sixth Form College, as it is in UK, and did maths further maths physics at A level, and then went to university to computing. So it became more of a standard story, I think, once I started back in college. Uh, so, so were you, were you a little bit of a rebel as a child, or yeah, yeah, I guess. So. I guess I was just always, I've always had the kind of personality where I, I love learning and I love experiencing new things and I'm curious. I've always had a lot of curiosity. So, and I think that's something I still, I hopefully still am now actually in terms of my business life. I'm always, I read every day. I'm still very curious about the world and about, you know, the business challenges we, that I face and we all face these days. It's quite, it's quite interesting that because I, I, you know, I always think it was, I mean, curiosity is, is a subject we actually had a whole show on a, a few weeks ago. Um, but I remember, as I've always had that that sort of curiosity. It's always been a part of me from being a, a very young child. And uh, I know my, my brother has been a bit bit less so, really. We were quite different, almost. Um, and I almost kind of wonder whether that curiosity is in your genetics or whether you, whether you just, you know, just learn it. I think I think it is. I think it's something you have. You know, you're, there's a probably a spectrum of it, like everything in life, and some people are different ends of the spectrum. But I think from the pe- successful people I've met, I think one of the things I've noticed about them is that they're all curious. They're all self-aware and they learn every day. I really found that as a common element in people's success. I am. Um, I introduced interviewed a few years ago. I did it on video actually. It wasn't on this show. I interviewed uh, a senior international director from Costa Coffee, and I asked him when recruiting what was the number one thing that they looked for and they said curiosity mm. and they actively look for curiosity in the cv and the different things people have done like you know did they go off at 16 and start working on building sites and doing you know ex- experiencing the world i guess or or have they just sort of sat in that traditional pattern of going to school going to college getting a degree getting your first job sort of thing yeah, I think the way the world is going these days, it's not it's not about what you've done before. It's not about you know, your past or your experiences. It's about your I think it's about your willingness to learn new things and your appetite and interest in learning new things because the world is changing so quickly. It's about what discriminates us these days is how quickly we can we can work with those changes and and and, and get benefit from those changes rather than you know try and avoid them or or not enjoy them. So I think it's a, it's a really important thing these days. People should try and. And develop curiosity if they don't have it and enjoy the changes that we're all going through yeah yeah absolutely and it uh, when you are curious i think you 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 know you're able to 
maybe add more value into the world, uh, into into the mix from maybe the sort of symphony of different ideas and things that you've acquired through your reading or your ex- life experiences that uh, that you have. Um, I, I, you describe yourself as well as a failed children's author. So you've done a few different things, Rory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it's a little of failure so far. Second in the baby competition. Um, I was actually, I mean, you're right. I was, I was the, I'm the only person to be on that cover of the magazine twice because they shut it down after my second cover. So I've, I've shut a magazine and I've also a failed children's author because I just, I mean, I had a, a, a baby son and I wanted to read him a pirate story, but all the pirate stories I could find were very kind of about, you know, theft and killing and they weren't suitable for a young child. So I wanted to write a kind of a more, a more friendly uh, pirate story. So to cut a long story short, I wrote one, sent it off to a publisher, they accepted it, I thought, yeah, great. And then they put it to a focus group of little children who rejected it. So I nearly made it. You should keep, keep on going, though. We had uh, we had Jack Canfield on the show a couple of years ago, and if you're familiar with his sort of Chicken Soup for the Soul series. Oh, yes, uh, yes. And he, he had 140 publisher rejections, him and Mark oh, Hansen for that book, and they, they got to a point with it where they decided actually – um, they went to a publisher and said, "Look, we want to get this book published, and we will underwrite uh, the you know the amount of books you need to sell to make this profitable." So, they they put down a, a risk a significant amount of money, and 500, 500 million copies later. Wow, that's that's a bit like J.K. Rowling, that kind of uh, rejections to success ratio, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is, and uh, so you you never know. You might you, you, never know. Know. you might be sitting on a gem there. <laughs> Actually, I really, I genuinely really enjoy what I'm doing now. So uh, I don't, yeah, I don't think I'll ever go back to it. But yeah, it's fun. It's, as you say, it's fun to try things. As you try things, and then always works. You know what? I reckon there must be a line of uh, of uh, young children's books that are fun, but about technology. Mm. Yeah, yes. I, I never thought of that. I mean, the, the things have moved so quickly that probably the fiction may be not be keeping up with the real world or their world now. Maybe there's something there. Yeah, yeah. So tell us, how did you get into technology and become a, I guess, CTO is Chief Technology Officer, is that correct? That's right, yeah. Um, there was a computer at school, I started playing with it, and I just I just wanted to, I think I've got quite a mathematical brain, and I started to write software at quite a young age, and I just loved it. I just love the whole, I love writing software. It's a real, really nice mix for me. Of, it's a creative thing, and it's also a very mathematical, mathematical and logical thing. So yeah. I always got into software, did it at university, started off doing software engineering at Imperial College, and then you know, went into computing when I left university. I just fundamentally I love writing software. It got me where I am today. Wow, wow. and uh, you've become very, very well-known for doing it, and, and you've achieved lots of accolades. I mean, has, was, that, was that an intention? You said that you, uh, uh, after coming second in a few things, you wanted to become <laughs> A number one, but uh, uh, you know, to to be identified as IT leader of the year, that's pretty significant. Were you, were you working for a company then, or or for yourself? Or yeah, I was I was working for a company called Betfair, which is an an online gaming exchange in the UK for people listening from outside the UK. Very very successful high tech business. You know, it was matching literally millions and millions of up to ten million transactions a day. You know, way before most people were uh, eventually floated on the London Stock Exchange for I think it was two billion dollars. So it was just one of the UK company success stories from the from the nineties. So I was I was CTO there, but I, I think I mean, I think if I'm being honest, I think there's an element you, you partly get it for your company as well. You know, if you're in a great successful company, you, you know, they, they they assume you'll put your something to do with that. <laughs> Maybe it's not always the case. But, yeah. <laughs> and, and and do you do you uh, gamble yourself? Is that something you or, or not after your experience? Right. Better? 
I do actually a little bit, very reg- uh, recreationally. I don't, you know, I don't do a lot of it, but I tend to. I've, I just won quite a lot of money on the World Cup by. Um, I can't remember which game it was. One of the real outsiders. You know, it's been a World Cup of shocks. I backed yeah. one of the outsiders. It's something incredibly crazy, like 40, 50 to 1, and made quite a lot of money under that. But I, don't, I only do it when I think there's real value in the odds. I try and pick the value. I, I, could, I could have done with knowing you when I said to my wife it was Christmas time and uh, I saw Leicester was still 150 to 1 a couple of seasons ago to win the league, even though they were sitting at the top. And I said, I'm going wow. to go and put, go and put uh, 50 pounds on. And my wife said, you must be mad. And because I didn't gamble, it was enough for me not to do it. But as my kids yeah. have pointed out to her, Mum, why did you stop Dad winning £7,500? <laughs> a lot of people did want a lot of money in the Leicester area on that, didn't they? Incredible. Some amazing stories as well. Some really mm. fascinating one. We had a local person in a hospital, and I think the, she was a PA to a consultant. I think he supported something like Derby County. Um, he went, he went so to I, the, Sorry? That's who I support, Derby County. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so he went and he went and put a bet on. He went and put something like a a ten pounds bet on or something that he he was gonna on Derby County winning their league. And because his PA supported Leicester, he put ten pounds on for her, and she, <laughs> and, she, and she just put this for a um just just as a bit of a gift to be nice to her. Gave it to her and she put it on uh, she put it on the office wall. And of course, and more and more excitement um was being created all season about was she gonna win. And I think he ended up with nothing and she got fifty grand. So that's, um, <laughs> well, he was. He was foolish putting a bet on Derby County to win their league. That, that's <laughs> never going to happen. I think we have officially the worst record in the Premier League. So uh, anyway. <laughs> so I'm imagining you're living. You live down south now. What, what's this connection with Derby? I, I, I spend a lot of my secondary school time in Long Eaton. You know, between Nottingham and Derby. Oh yeah, I know that. Yeah. So um, you know, you pick your team at that age, and this was the kind of cluffy era when they were really good. <laughs> they haven't been quite so good subsequently. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, we've got lots of my friends sport derby as well as um, but we're, we're all Leicester over here. So, tell us a bit about tell us a bit about your um, current business because it's really interesting. It's called Interim Team, mm. and it's grown incredibly rapidly. Um, so, what do you do? How do you help clients? And uh, you know, what do you think has been the key to its success so far? Okay, what what we do fundamentally is we try to make people successful. You know, so that's I mean, and the genesis of the of, of the company was um, in one of the roles. I, I I tend to pick quite challenging roles. There's always a transformation or a turnaround when I when I take a job normally. And I went into an organisation there was obviously weakness in the team that I'd inherited. And I, I thought, wouldn't it be brilliant if there was some way of just getting a real expert to come in and, and take accountability for one area of this, this of this team? Well, I focus on this other area. Will somebody come in and look at this? while I look at that? And somebody, you know, a real expert, can come in quickly, get it done, and then they'll leave when the job is done. And that kind of facility, that access to the talent, just wasn't there then. I thought, well, it wouldn't, you know, so I put the, the idea in the back of my mind, one day I'm going to start a company that does that, that parachute really good talent into organizations to help people and teams be successful. And it kind of grew from there. We started it, as you say, it's going really, really well. Because, you know, I think we're, we're a very values-driven business and that we are genuinely trying to make people and, and, and teams and companies successful. And uh, hopefully, I've been pretty good at it. Excellent. But there's, um, I, I talk to a lot of people who, and uh, I would include myself in that. But honestly, we, you know, we generally want to help t- teams and people become more successful. But we haven't grown a business as quick as you have. So, you know, what 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 do you think has been the the, the key? Is it is it just the idea, or is it uh, and and following it through? What's uh, in a short summary? What do you think it is? I 
I think I think trying to be a you know kind of more reflective and looking at how we're looking at it, at our business rather than put in it. I think what I'm quite good at is analyzing what works in terms of growth and what doesn't work in terms of growth. So I'm hoping a lot of other companies grow, and obviously that you need to do that. You need to be, understand it pretty well yourself, and so therefore you can you know you can grow yourself pretty well as well. Working in the market, you're, you're trying things, you're finding what works, what doesn't work. So I think because I'm in the growth business. It's, I find it quite easy to grow our own business fundamentally. So, so it helps to be a bit analytical about it. Yeah, I think as we said earlier about being curious, it's yeah, I'm, I like to think I'm quite self-aware, and I'm always looking, you know, looking at the business as well as in the business, and thinking, you know, what's going well, what's not so well, how could we do it better, and also very much learning from other people, you're learning what other people are doing well, and bringing that into into our business, and learning what isn't working for other people, and, and bringing that in. So again, like curiosity, I think learning from other people is a, is a massive um, strength you can have as a person, as a, t- a team, and a business. Yeah, I just got a couple of minutes till commercial break, and 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 I'd just like to just. First, you know, define this word growth hacking. I've I've heard it before, and I think the last time I, I talked about growth hacking or with the using this sort of uh, phraseology was with um, a sort of senior marketer at Microsoft. Um, mm. So, so what what is it? Well, it's actually it sounds like one of these trendy phrases now, but it's been around since I think a guy called Sean Ellis coined it. Who was a, he? I mean, he was worked with Log Me In, and he was the first marketer at Dropbox. So he coined it back in 2010, I think. And and what it means is growth hacking is kind of picking one and only one growth metric, whether that's visitors, registration, checkouts, downloads, you know, whatever it is that's really important to your business, doing anything and everything to, to grow that one thing. You know, you, you take a cross-functional approach you know, outside of the usual silos of sales, marketing, technology, product, whatever it is. And you, find, you try and find a hack that delivers growth, but it's cheap, it can be edgy, and, and it needs to be quick. So that's what you're trying to do with growth hacking. That's, that's a great explanation, actually. So, to, so it's got, it can, can, can be cheap, you've got to be able to do it quick. Yeah, a growth hack, you know, launching a TV advertising campaign that costs $20 million isn't a hack. You know, a hack is where the benefit massively outweighs the cost and the effort. You know, that's the, that's the leverage you're trying to create. Yeah. Yes. Someone described uh, something, they, they used the word frugal innovation um, mm. to me as well. That's quite yeah, interesting. That's a good explanation as well. You're trying to you're trying to have an asymmetry between the effort and the cost of the benefits, you know, with cleverness or innovation or, or you know, trying to find a way. It's a very interesting, and again, it's a creative thing, like writing software. It's a creative thing. Yeah, yeah. well, I think uh, we're probably. Um, I've not had any message from my engineer at the moment. I can't see one, but I think we're probably coming to a commercial break now. So I think we'll we'll end at that point. And we will um, pop back again in just a couple of minutes. So do do join us because there's lots more. We're going to really talk about this growth hacking and get into it, and you know how you can identify these uh, these uh, opportunities for yourself. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching 
facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Rory Devine. We were talking about Rory's background and how he got into doing what he's doing. and, And we moved into... Uh, really talking about what this this interview is about, which is growth hacking, and a great a great term there, which uh, I think was very um, beautifully articulated by Rory in terms of what it actually actually meant, you know, and um, you know about picking one metric and doing anything and everything to grow that one metric, and it's got to be cheap, it's got to be it's got to be quick, uh, it's not about spending twenty million pounds on an advertising campaign, so. Um, let's get a little bit more into into that. And Rory, when we we planned this interview, you mentioned that there were seven sort of areas that you have you should give attention to uh, to grow your business in a fragmented market. Do you want to very quickly just identify what those sort of seven are for as over, overview, and then we'll go into a bit more detail so people, you know, hopefully we can go into all of them if we have the time, but uh, we can really start to understand what each one means. Yeah, I mean, the way I, I described it to you, Chris, was I think the first thing you need to do is decide what kind of growth you need. And um, we can come into that later, maybe. And um, they need to set up to deliver the growth to make sure you have the tools and, and channels to do the growth you want. Then you need to break your activities down to kind of target, influence, and interact, and then convert. And yeah, we'll probably hopefully come on to targeting, influencing, interacting, converting, and then putting it in with a big picture context of your business. Excellent. And you've got a within within that as well that you mentioned to me about so in that targeting. Yeah, yeah, yes, you influence, interact, and convert, and you. I, I absolutely I get that. Um, now, so I identify those as sort of separate points. But so let's um, let's start by uh, talking about uh, the kind of growth that you want to need. I mean, what what kind of growth is there? Isn't it not just growth is growth? Um, and uh, if you if there are some different options of growth, how do we decide which one we want? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great question because it's it's actually one of the most difficult things you need to do in this process because if you think about a business, there's a lot of activities go into creating a business and growth can be measured in so many different ways. You know, is it, is it revenue? Is it is it usage? Is it user numbers? Is it some kind of metric like downloads? You know, what is it that's important to, to you as a business? 
And if you're going to be growth hacking that thing, it needs to be at the right level. There's no point picking a metric, maybe like revenue, to growth hack because it's just too high level and you don't have enough control over it as any one individual or one team because you, know, you need something that you can have responsibility and control over to growth hack. So you've got to find some something lower, lower level than revenue, but something you can genuinely influence and, and that will ultimately affect the important growth metrics like revenue or whatever it is, of whatever phase of business you're in. So picking that growth metric is actually really, really important. It's not as easy as it sounds. And the police aren't coming for you, are they, Rory? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, hopefully not. If I go, if I go silent, then uh, my life is taking another interesting turn. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 uh, so, so, we, we, so we're looking at in those businesses, say, say metrics like um, whether it's downloads or. Um, I mean, are there, are there some things that would would a, would a sale convert, be a metric? I'd... It, again, it might be too high level. I mean, a, a good example would be Facebook. Um, they they had a growth hacking team, and what they decided their growth metric would be would be the number of friends you have. So they didn't pick, you know, they didn't pick advertising revenue or even uh, you know, some other measure of interactivity. But they realised that if somebody joined Facebook, and I think it went past four friends, there was some magic number for them. But once you got past four friends, you tended to engage with the, with the platform and stay. But if you didn't get to four, you'd leave, you'd churn. So, so their metric was number of friends, and they did everything they could to encourage you to make more friends. I don't know if you remember that that phase on Facebook, where they're always encouraging you to make friends. Um, so that's why they were doing that. Oh, I see. Okay, and then yeah, so so that's an indicator of of success for the platform for them. Yeah, and you've got to find the equivalent for your business. What is it that's very important to your success, but it's but it's low level enough for you to control, and that's the key in the art of, de- of designing your growth metric. So you're in you're in in this sort of learning and development kind of space. We're helping helping people develop and grow. I'm in a in that kind of people and leadership and teams and engagement sort of uh, sort of space. And uh, what, what kind of metrics in that? Because I know we've got quite a lot of listeners who are coaches and trainers and that sort of thing. What sort of metrics might be um, might be appropriate for those sorts of businesses? Well, you you've got to think. You know what what really affects your success. I mean. I would start looking at maybe the number of clients you have. I know that sounds silly. I mean, obviously, the, the higher number of clients you have, the more successful you are. That's obvious. But it's not always a number of clients isn't the same as revenue because you can have dormant clients, you can have low revenue clients, high revenue clients, and, you know, clients that take a lot of time but aren't, they're not very um, profitable. But I think maybe in an analogy with Facebook, because if you have a client, you have an advocate as well. And you have somebody who, has, who also has relationships. So your active network is quite high if you have a lot of clients. So I would argue that in some ways you want a lot of, a large number of a certain type of client rather than a small number of very profitable clients or a very large number of unprofitable clients. I think you know, I'd probably dig into that a little bit with you and get under the skin of exactly the profile of these clients and really understand that perfect kind of dev, that, the parameters of that perfect client and how you would grow that. And I think that might be a good metric for that kind of business. Yeah, that's re- that's really interesting. I, mean, I, I, I sort of thought that uh, came through there, Rory, from uh, again, it was, it was a guest many years ago. But what he was saying was that you know he could d- derive his multi-million pound business um, down really to seven people in his mm. network, mm. and uh, and those seven people he really nurtured the relationship. And some of those had actually barely spent any money with him, but they had referred him to loads and loads of people, whereas others, you know, were huge spenders within his business. Um, uh, so I, I guess you know, that's quite an interesting 
you know metric for him it was about having that right kind of uh, of, of client slash referrer on his uh, on on his network and then really looking after them referral i mean referrals are an absolute key key part of growth hacking you know there are very few growth mechanisms better than referral for growing a business and dropbox is a brilliant example you know one of the things they did was you'd get a free um, 10 meg or whatever it was if you referred somebody so if you can find a referral mechanism within your business, it's normally very, very effective. And you can go easily go past what's called a viral coefficient of one, where every client you, you you bring in creates more than one client because they refer you or recommend you. And that's how you can explode very quickly. Yeah, yeah. That's so I noticed with Dropbox, I, I I recently had a little look a little look tr- on, online trying to just understand and I think I might have just dropped a little note on their sort of chat box on their site. And, and since then, I've been every week or two, I'm getting messages saying, you know, can we talk to you about moving across to business and uh, the, you know, the, the next level of service you can get from Dropbox? And they've never left me alone. So I, I think that's probably quite important for them, uh, that, that sort of live inquiry now as well, you know, be getting Wait. to people quickly. Yeah, I mean, referral is, a, I don't know if we get a chance to talk about it later, but it's a massive, it's one of the, the key tools in a growth hacking toolbox, because not only does it bring business in, you know, you they will refer you and you'll get more business, but it plays to the whole trust angle, which again, we may talk about when we talk about influencing, interacting, trust. Trust is so, so important in growing a business. You know, there's a, there's a, there was a stat released recently, I think it was 83% of people trust online reviews as much as their friends. So you've wow. got to bring you've got to bring trust and uh, demonstrate trust in your business if you want to grow it. So it, it, that's why referral is such a powerful technique. Yeah, that's great. Um, so you've decided what uh, kind of growth you want. Mm-hmm. How do you best sort of set you know set things up to um, to enable you to deliver that growth? I mean, what do you what do you need? Yeah, exactly. So you know, once you've decided your growth your growth metric, then you need to get ready to to grow it. And you know, growth hacking is an iterative process. You you measure, act, measure your way through growth hacking. It's not something you just do once and then walk away and you know go and buy your yacht. It's something you try something. You know, some things work, some things don't work. You do more of the stuff that works, less of the stuff that doesn't work, and you iterate through. So you need you need to set up an iterative process with a, with a cycle. Uh, I tend to use a weekly a weekly cycle, and and get the skills together, and get and get the tools together, and then start with a big list of ideas, rank them, sort them based on some criteria to put the most the the lowest co- uh, lowest cost, lowest effort, highest potential reward ones at the top, and you work through them and you measure and measure your way through the process, and every day looking at the impact that your activities are having on that one growth metric you picked that we talked about. So, so basically, and I get with you being a you know an IT expert, are you you are you getting automatically sort of feeds and things that are giving you that data as you need it, or because it depend on the the nature of the business? It, it really depends on, on on the business, but obviously anything you can do to automate is great. You know, it just cuts down the work and the and the, the cost of the activity, and so allowing you to focus on doing the execution of the growth hacking and, and being creative, having ideas about what, what other things you could do, what you know, what you could, how you can adjust and adapt to what you're doing. Because not only is that, you know, it's, again, we're not, we're not, the world doesn't stand still as we're doing things. You know, it, when we start a growth hacking initiative or process, the world isn't going to stand still. So things are going to change around us, which we'll need to adapt to. But also by doing what we're doing, we're changing things. So again, we always keep after refining what we're doing and iterating through it. 
and get so you get you get better and better. And you're learning from failure all the time. Oh, exactly. Fa- yeah, a lot of people would argue you only learn from failure. You know, if you if you if something fails, you know, well, that that particular thing you've done in that context doesn't work. If it's successful, then it just reinforms what you what you knew already, what you thought. You haven't actually learned anything because you already knew it. So failure teaches you a lot. And you've got to, the more things you try and the more the more you fail, the more successful you'll be. I mean, I, I, mean, I know some people, like for just one example, that um, as part of their growth hacking, they'll do outbound um, sales calls. And, then, and the, the kind of targets they will set themselves is to have five failed calls a day. So they don't use one successful call. They say, I'm going to have five failed calls because they know implicitly if they actually have five failed calls, they will get some successful calls, but they focus on learning from the failures. Yeah, and I guess maybe what they can do is say, well, actually, every, every call that we make is maybe worth, you know, 25, 30 pounds to us, irrespective of whether it's a failed call or not, because every six we might convert or 10 or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And they'll learn from the ones that don't work. They will learn. They will, they will reflect and think, well, why didn't that work? Okay, maybe I need to do this or I'll do that, you know, adapt to my approach. And, and that's, how, that's how they'll learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there becomes uh, the it, volume could be important of those numbers of calls, but also your, your level of s- skill at effectively converting them. Yeah, conversion is a bit of uh, a massive thing. And as I said, it was the fourth thing I mentioned in the, in the, the growth hacking funnel. Uh, <laughs> there are challenges all the way up and down from top of funnel to bottom funnel obviously but conversion ultimately you, you've got to be very good at that at the end of this process so you, so you, you suggested it's, we've, um, we've identified the kind of growth that you want and then mm-hmm. we, we identify you know, the, the way to kind of set up so we can, we can deliver that growth whatever that might be with this it might be outbound calls or whatever and you're measuring you're acting you're measuring um you suggested that you then break it down to target, and then we we'll, we'll can talk about influence, interact, and convert. What do you, what do you mean by that, and uh, and what do you have to do to do it? Yeah, I think I think this of the of the four things there: target, influence, interact, convert. I think targeting is the thing that has changed the most in the modern world. You know, I think if you think about how we used to advertise and how we used to market, it was very much, you know, it was one to many. It was big, massive. A set of messages, identical messages to to many different people, whether that's newspaper advertising, cinema advertising, radio, you know, linear advertising, where the same message goes to lots of people, and you're hoping by hitting millions or, or billions of people, you're going to hit the, the number you want that people are is interesting and relevant to. And that's but that's the old approach, more of a carpet bombing approach. These days, it's all about targeting. You, you can't or you won't do that. It will be expensive and, and pointless. So what you want to do now is target the people who are going to have the biggest need for your product or service. So targeting is critical, absolutely critical. But um, it's a hell of a lot easier than it used to be as well. Uh, uh, I suppose quite, if you looked at, I'm just trying to think now, I mean, maybe you look at something like a, you know, an organization like Boots, does this sort of mean that what you might decide if you were, if you were looking at boots and you were boots is a, for anybody who might not have a boots in their country, it's a, it's a big store which is in most towns and cities, certainly in this country, and uh, and and does things like um, pharmacy and beauty and opticians and that all within the one site. Would you be doing something like uh, you know t- targeting? Could be actually what we want to do is we want to target uh, women with children. Because actually, that's the biggest segment 
um, that's likely to come and buy in our store. So that's where we focus our attention. Would that be? Yeah, exactly. I mean, targeting means first you've got to know your customer. You can't target if you don't know what your potential customer looks like. So if you've got a product that women with children are going to be particularly amenable to, particularly interested in, then you, you create what you, you know, what we call your personas. So your one of your personas is a woman of a certain age with a child. And you may have a set of personas, but you need to know what they are. And again, as I said, picking a growth metric sounds simple, but can, can actually be quite difficult. Choosing your personas can be difficult as well. Um, and I've seen a lot of businesses get it wrong in that I think there's a bias with business owners and, and, and CEOs in that they tend to over-index that the world is like themselves so that the, everybody else thinks the way they do. And they end up thinking all of their customers are like them. Yeah. And often they're not. So they're actually pitching at the wrong people, which is one of the reasons why they struggle. But if you, if you spend some time thinking about genuinely what your personas are, and, as you, and you talked about your business, that if, you, if you're, yeah, one of your effective personas might be to find clients who are a good, they're very sociable and very happy to be an advocate for you. So what you, your, one of your personas, key personas might be a very well-networked, sociable um, person who wants, who wants coaching or whatever. And that might be a key um, persona for you. So once you have your persona set up, then you can target them. But you, you obviously need to know what they are. Like it. That's, that makes um, makes an awful lot of sense and very very logical and and very sensible uh, to do that. Uh, but I can imagine that it can be quite hard to to think through this and uh, and make sure that you put your attention in the right place. And I guess it could also mean that you're possibly neglecting some areas of your business that may or may not be the most profitable, but you might be emotionally attached to them. Yeah, I mean, we all we all have biases, don't we? We all have, you know, we're all we're all human beings. We're emotional um, emotional people. We don't think we don't think rationally all the time. In fact, I don't know if we'll come onto it later, but the the whole buying process is an emotional process which we justify with logic to ourselves. So when you're influencing and interacting with people, you've got to bear that in mind as well. So yeah, I mean, that's why I think a growth hacking process is is very can be very effective because it it depersonalizes it. It, and it makes it, it becomes a very data driven where you're looking at, you're getting very analytical about your personas, your targeting, and very, very analytical about the results, the impact of what you're doing. You, and your numbers don't lie. So if that, if that growth metric hasn't gone up, it hasn't gone up. You know, whatever you think emotionally about that, whatever you did didn't work. I mean, you can't argue with that. Excellent. Well, let's go to commercial break again now. And after the break, let's have a look at how we, we can then influence those personas. And, and then interact with them and move towards converting them. So we're going to go to commercial break now. We'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. So do hang on, do join us in just a couple of minutes. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? 
Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the business elevation show with your host chris cooper if you have a question or comment about our show please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk that's chris at chriscooper.co.uk now back to chris cooper hi this is chris cooper and i'm with rory divine and we're talking about growth hacking and uh Rory, we talked about um, the kind of growth and need to deliver growth. We talked about targeting and how you do that effectively. So let's talk a bit about then you've got your, your target and you've identified these sort of personas in your target market. How do we go about influencing and then interacting with them? Yeah, again, it's a great question. There's a, a massive range of techniques and approaches we could take. Um, but the, the two things are slightly different and they're kind of different over different timescales. Influencing is, is something you'll do into a wider community, into a wider market, you know, to, to make sure that people are aware that you exist, they understand your the products or services, they understand the value of them, what makes you unique. There's something you do as a more of a long-term exercise, that, which is because something like brand building, I guess. Whereas interacting is different. Interacting is when you're literally trying to have one-to-one conversations with, with potential customers, which you then would move on to the um, conversion stage. Oh, I, oh, I see. Okay, so th- there is a real, real distinction between the two, um, and um, so, so you're trying to the the influence bit is trying, as you say, is trying to get to, to warm up a marketplace and make them make them more aware of you. So it's more, you say, it's more general. But then you're with the with the interacting and then talking about really down the detail of getting into those one-to-one conversations. Yeah, I. If you imagine the set of your personas being within the market, or you know, there could be different personas within different virtual markets. They don't have to even get to the real market, but there are a set of people that you want to influence. You want them all of them to be aware that you exist. You want them all of them to be aware that you what you do. And you want all of them to to think that your what you do is interesting or useful. So you're influencing community or a, a vertical slice through um, your set of people when you're influencing. You know, obviously, where you want to get to is the next stages and interact with them. You know, you want, to, you want to start talking and having um, conversations with your potential customers as quickly as you can. So have you got an example of maybe a you know brand or someone that you've worked with or, or sort of your own business where you did you know find this a uh, this target market and then you you influence it and, and you interacted with it? That maybe just can help bring this alive. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, all of, all the businesses were involved. Well, we do this to some extent because and it, a lot of a lot of the techniques come these days come come back to what we call content marketing. I don't know if it's something you've talked about in any of your shows, but you know, as we talked about in the, in the old days, it used to be very one-way marketing, uh, one-to-many, where you, everybody's watching a message that may or may not be relevant to them. Whereas these days, we're trying to be put interesting and relevant things in front of as many people as possible. So everybody will create, and the most, mostly how we'll do that is create content that's interesting or useful for them. Everyone, you know, 
comes onto social media platforms, they interact with LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. And the way, one of the ways you influence a market is, is to start creating content that's interesting or useful for people in that market. Yes, I, I see. So, but, so it could be okay, it could be blog posts, but it could be as it could be me, media, TV, could it, or um, radio content, or what? It could be anything, yeah. And obviously, part of when you identify your personas, you look, you're looking, you understand what it is they want or need. Because all in the day, what we have to do is sell to needs. There is no point trying to sell something to somebody who doesn't need want or need it. So we're selling to need. So we understand what the need is. So I think coming back to your your your, your boots example of your a woman with a child, you know, her need maybe children's medicines or children's food, whatever it is. You understand what the need is. And then maybe you can start creating content around what's healthy food for children, or yeah. or really good um, med- medicines you can you can buy to to deal with childhood asthma or ch- uh, childhood hay fever, whatever it is, whatever it is the market you're in. You understand the needs and start creating interesting and useful content for people in that market. What you and this is, does that take us to converting then? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's kind of, as I said, it's kind of two. There's a high level is influencing, and and you want to but you want to get take them from being influenced to, to interacting with you as quickly as you can. And this is the art of it: you target, you influence, you interact, you convert. Interacting, um, obviously, through your through the communication channels you have, whether it's a website, uh, an app, you know, whatever it is you do, then they're the they're your interaction points with your potential customers. I see, and then uh, that uh, that then could take take you through to if it was selling something online through to a a, a sale in a online shopping cart, perhaps. That's good. Yeah, and, and, and you know, probably most businesses there are about fifty fifty web to mobile interaction. So what you need normally, if you're selling for a B two C business, and even B, and even a B two B business, you need a really good interactive platform to interact with your potential customers. And if you go into our website. Uh, interim.team, you'll see a lot of, um, you'll see a chat box um, icon at the bottom right, a little yellow chat box, and a lot of embedded links all throughout the whole page. Because what we want to happen is that people come onto that page because of our influencing. They feel we've got something interesting or useful for them, so they come to the page, but then we want them to interact with us. It wants to be a real-time conversation, not just a one-way communication where we pitch something, a generic message at them. We want to interact with them. We want to find out what it is they want from me, and then we can respond to that. I see. So the final point was about big picture. So mm. why, why are we, we, we going to the big picture? Is this about results or what, what is it? Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think it can be a bit daunting these days. For, for your listeners out there who are running businesses or running teams, it can be a bit daunting because we talked about it being a fragmented market. There are a lot of different channels out there and social media platforms. And you know, every day there's some new startup doing something and it's very hard. It can be a bit overwhelming. You can look at it and think, well, how can I possibly navigate this world? It's changing so quickly as well. And, you know, I don't understand what Twitter is or I don't understand what Snapchat is or whatever it is. So how do I navigate it? How can I sell into this this complex, fragmented world? Well, you know, I think the, in the big picture, I think, well, don't worry. It's, you know, you, you've got to do stuff. Just have, Just do stuff. Try stuff. And if it doesn't work, do something else. And ultimately, I think the... A basketball coach called John Wooden said, success is a lot of little things done well. And I'd say that with growth as well. Growth is a lot of little things done well. There's not a silver bullet. You know, you, you know, you're very, very unlikely to find one thing that's going to get you to where you want to go. So what you're going to need to do is lots of little things. Measure, act, measure. Keep going. Have a bit of tenacity. Don't give up. Keep going. And do stuff. And you'll find stuff that works and you do more of it and you'll stop doing the stuff that doesn't work so well. Excellent. Now you're you're a 
an expert in your background was an expert in technology you're a ceo now but what uh, what do you think are there the key things people need to look out for right now in, in this marketplace when it comes to technology i think oh there's, well, there's so many trends at the moment it's again it's an exciting and daunting world at the moment whether it's cloud and mobile first that you know do things you'll measure act measure through it some of it will succeed, some of it will fail, but do things because it is a, is a question of doing lots of little things well to get your potential to identify your potential customers, take them through that funnel process to influence and interacting and conversion. Excellent. So, tell tell me just a little bit about um, you know what's next for your business. I mean, you're quite quite global now in terms of where you're working, and you've got quite a lot of consultants and. Uh, yeah, help help us understand what's um, what's going on with Interim Dot Team, and you know the kind of things that you help people with, and can help people who are maybe listening and thinking, "Oh, this this sounds like an interesting guy and company." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah as you said, we're, we're lucky to have worked already worked in a lot of company uh, countries. You know, we're UK, Ireland, Denmark, Sweden, Spain. Uh, we've done some work now in the US in New York City for a very interesting company over there. Because a lot of a lot of these things are not are not geographically. It's not critical. A lot of the world we, these days is, is online, and so it almost doesn't matter where you are. The, the techniques will work whichever geographical location you're in. So we're finding a lot of our techniques and approaches very applicable to uh, different businesses in different locations. So yeah, it's really it's really exciting. And you know, as I said right at the beginning, what we're about is making people successful. So if we can make more people successful all over the world, that'd be fantastic. And the big the, the next big thing for us, I think, we're also going crowdfunding. So. Um, we're about to launch a crowdfunding drive on Crowdcube, so crowdcube.com slash interim.team um, if people want to get in on the, on the ground floor on that. So that's uh, that's going to be really exciting. It's not something I've ever done before, so I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, we, the guy we had on last week, Ben Ravel, he was mm. used Crowdcube as, as well. And there's some quite, uh, you, you'd have to get secure a certain amount of funding, don't you, to be able to access your funding. It's not, not a straightforward process to be able to do it. Yeah, that's right. You go into what's called private live, where you have to uh, secure twenty percent of your eventual target before you then go into public live. So we're we're just about to start private live. So we haven't really started marketing, but I think I think if you go to that website, I just said crowdcube.com/slash/interest.team, I think you can actually sign up. But um, yeah, we'll probably be launching that towards the end of the summer. I don't think um, I don't think the summer's a good time for this kind of thing. And what do you, what do you want the money for? We're we're gonna engage some some peop some more talent fundamentally. We're gonna for the three of the main business lines that we're running at the moment is the interim work where we parachute um, people into teams or companies that need specific help and expertise. That's one line of business. The growth hacking business we're talking about is another, and then we do others around um, some more coaching or mentoring thing as well. So we're gonna hire some more talent to run those individual business lines. And is that uh, is that talent doing uh, sort of technical work, or is some of your work not technical? It's more, you know, engaging yeah. with people. Yeah, those those three roles we're talking about are business roles, CEO type roles. Oh, I see. Got you. Okay, so you so you're um you're you're, you're basically an interim might be an interim CEO. Yes, exactly. And we and we we're getting a lot of demand for that recently, actually. And people are. I mean, I think the whole world is moving to a point where. It's what people want is variable capacity. They don't want to be locked into big contracts of the same thing for a long period of time. They want the, the flexibility to to pick what they need, which is optimum for them at the time. So you, you know, a, a business with five employees will need a CEO of a certain set of skills, mm. whereas a business with five thousand employees is going to need a very different CEO. Yeah. So 
you know, it's what would be great both ways is for the for that business to go into the market to get a CEO that's optimum for their stage, their challenges, and then maybe he, when that that is successfully done, he hands the baton on to a CEO who's maybe who's better at the scale at that stage. He goes on to help start another business at the startup phase, and that's certainly what we're doing. And it's working really well both ways because we're not not everyone's good at everything, and not everybody needs the same thing. It makes it makes an awful lot of sense that because it's it's a big a big thing recruiting a CEO, isn't it? Into your into your business, and actually, I, I guess there's not not everybody wants to be a CEO these days as well. There's quite a lot of pressure involved in doing um, certainly roles in large companies, and uh, and people can struggle, can't they, to find the right resource? Yeah, and it, and it's you know it's horses for courses, as we say here in England. It's it depends on the challenge that who's appropriate for it, and things are changing so quickly these days that what you know what your, your perfect CEO today may not be your perfect CEO in a year's time or two years' time. So it's not about a four-year relationship now with, with stability being a good thing. It's about having the maximum talent deployed on your challenges. And if, you, and if they're doing a good job, then it will change, and it will change quickly. It'll be a different business every year. It should be. It needs to be these days. So, you know, why not have a more flexible relationship, so more of a pay-as-you-go contract with your talent rather than a, a fixed contract with your talent, and you call it off as, as in what you need and what's perfect for you at the time. As I said, and it also gets the, the opportunity for people like me who are very good at some things that I go and help a business do that thing, and then I have another business do that thing rather than try and do something I'm not very good at because the business has grown or changed around me. Very, very, very plausible. So you've got, got about a minute. What's, what would you like to, final, so what would your final message be that you'd like to leave us with? Uh, I, think as we, I think as we said um, at the beginning about the, the big picture conversation that you know it's it's a really exciting time at the moment. It's, it's all about change. So no, but you know nobody has the answers. Don't be intimidated by it. Nobody's looking at this world and and they make and they get it and you don't get it. We're all in the same boat. We're all trying to make sense of a rapidly changing world. But do it. Get stuck in. Try something. If it doesn't work, try something else. Have a go. You know. I, I, one thing I'm really enjoying seeing lately is just the amount of entrepreneurship there is in the world. It's so much easier to start a business now than it used to be, and a lot of people are. I think there's a stat that 10% of the people in the UK are in their own business now. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. So it's fantastic to be part of that. It's such a great time to be involved in this kind of thing. Rory, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, I've, I've absolutely loved it. Yeah, uh, can I ring you later and have another chat, Chris? I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, no, sure. We'll do that. Yeah, we'll have a chat afterwards. Um, and I'm so pleased the police didn't take you away as well. This was great. And I did wonder for a moment. Um, so um, we, I just want to say a big thank you to Rory. But also next week's show, we have Denise Lee Yon. And she's the author of a great book called Fusion. It's about how to integrate, or how integrating brand and culture has um, led to and is powering the world's greatest companies. There's some real, I think I think there's a special book. This. There's some real uh, fascinating ideas uh, to take away and uh, and think about and absorb to really enable you to help companies or develop your business. So I'll be back with you again next week um, and uh, wish you all well. Any questions, comments about the show, uh, feel free to send them to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. I always love to hear from you uh, and I wish you well. We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.